0: Hello there, and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's been an absolutely glorious week here in Ireland. The sun has been shining. The temperatures have been tropical. Well, if not tropical, continental up in the high 20s. We don't get that very often here, and I'm enjoying it for the most part. There's another part of me, perhaps the logical, sensible part of me, that thinks this is not right. It's not normal. Perhaps it's to do with climate change. And this just brings our impending doom ever closer. The polar ice caps are melting, seawater levels are rising, and Ireland is warm. If you need any more evidence that things are not what they should be, that's it right there. Particularly that last bit. But we are in a strange place right now in the world. It's a weird time to be alive, and there's something very serious that I would like to address before we kick on with this podcast. I should mention that this is a fairly short podcast in comparison to normal ones. There's not been much Arsenal news, but however, I will be chatting to Tim Stillman about a meeting he was at this week with Ivan Gazidis, with uh, Unai Emery. That's the guy. He's our new head coach. Anyway, Tim was at this meeting with Ivan and Unai Emery, and there was a few other people there, and he'll give us some updates from that, as well as some World Cup chat with him. But it is going to be a relatively short podcast. However, back to this serious issue, and I'm sure many of you over the last couple of weeks have noticed this. It's not something I take lightly. I don't think it's something anybody should take lightly. You know, we all sit down at the end of the day, we all come home to our families, we have our dinner. We just want to switch off for a little while, but it becomes impossible, doesn't it? Because you're just bombarded with this thing from every angle. There just seems to be absolutely no escaping this this terror that is being inflicted upon the world. And I'm not sure how we got to a place where people thought that this was acceptable, where they thought that this was... The right way to treat fellow human beings, we're all people at the end of the day. Religion, skin color, sexuality, none of it matters because at the bottom of it, we're all just people. We're all the same and we all deserve compassion. We deserve kindness. We deserve to be treated with fairness and with dignity. And that demands from us the same thing that we do likewise. It's not just about what happens to you. It's about what you do and what you do with other people and how you treat them and how you respect them. And throughout this time, I feel like we're not being respected. People in power are abusing their positions to inflict upon us trauma and misery for no good reason. Other than to try and sell a car. On the one hand, kudos to you, whichever car manufacturer you are, that has managed to develop the technology that will prevent a car door being opened when another car is approaching. Because kids don't look out the car door, we get it, well done, that's fantastic, a great development. It's imperative that we continue to improve car safety, because many people die around cars. But how many people have died because they've had to watch Maroon 5 do a Bob Marley song in the very same ad? It's inhuman. It is just abhorrent. I'm sickened to my core. Every time there's an ad break in a World Cup game, there's this ad and there's that fucking Maroon 5 guy standing there singing, knowing he's made a million bazillion dollars to brutalize, to massacre a Bob Marley song. And he's standing there, isn't he? With that big fucking Maroon 5 look on his face, like he's happily seen off Maroon 1, 2, 3, and 4. Fuck those guys, he thinks. I'm Maroon 5. And what about us? What about us sitting at home? having to listen to this. Where is the humanity? Where is the dignity? Where is the respect for us as people, as human beings? And you can be sure that that ad has been translated into countless languages. It's being shown all over the world. Maroon fuckity fucking five. You know what the best thing I ever saw on TV was? When I've watched The Wire... I've watched The Sopranos. I've watched Breaking Bad. I've watched Deadwood. I've seen Jamiroquai being headbutted by a photographer. I've seen all the great things. But the greatest thing I ever saw was in American Horror Story. Perhaps season one or season two or maybe season three. The season doesn't matter. The guy from Maroon 5 was in it. One of the early episodes. And they're going around like a, uh, an old asylum or some shit like that. And he's all playing with his girlfriend, going boo and making her scared and shit. And then out of the darkness or from behind a door, some guy grabs him and rips off his arm. And he's lying there with his stumpy stump all bleeding and he's screaming and you're thinking, try play your fucking guitar now, you cunt, with only one arm. I know Def Leppard had a one-arm drummer, but that was different. He could use his feet to smash the watsits and the, you know, the cymbals and whatever. But you, you can't play one arm guitar because you need one arm to do the other th- and want the other arm to do the other stuff. You need two arms to play the guitar. But no, this was, sadly, fiction. Had it been real, we would not be watching Maroon 5 on our televisions before and after and during every single World Cup game. It's not right. So fuck you, car manufacturer, whoever you are, and fuck you, FIFA And fuck you, Maroon 5, you fucking fuckers. Get off my TV, playing fucking shite cover versions of great songs. (sighs) Apart from that, though, the World Cup has been pretty great. It's been mental, hasn't it? Germany are out, and there's been all kinds of controversy and incident and uh, referees watching TV in their full kit, full kit wanker referees watching TVs, telling the other referees what they should do. It's been pretty damn enjoyable. So with me to discuss a bit of the World Cup, and as I said, that meeting between Unai Emery and Arsenal supporters, Tim Stillman, hi, how are you?
1: Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad at all. Surviving the hot weather? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Um, <laughs> tr- like, kind of trying to enjoy it. You know, you do that thing where you're kind of like, you're on the, the train home from work and you think, Christ, I'm sweating and this is awful, but I mustn't complain. I mustn't complain. So <laughs> yeah. kind of doing that kind of stuff at the moment, like just sitting there sweating and going, nope. no. This is definitely great.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We I just ha- have no truck whatsoever with anybody in <laughs> Ireland or even England who goes No. Oh, you know it's too hot. It would be nice to have a bit cooler. We've got it all fucking year. you exactly. people so uh, you know a few days of mild inconvenience while your armpits get a bit more moist than they should be. Uh you can you can suck it up. Um let's talk a bit about World Cup. Um are you
1: are you enjoying it this tournament? I'm I'm absolutely loving it. I th- I think it's quite, I think it's been a great tournament. I th- I think a lot of this is because in the first round of games I kind of I went away for the weekend and and I think I missed all the really crap games. Um so almost everything I've watched has been really really great, really dramatic. I think what's really made this World Cup um certainly the group stages and and quite often things do tail off after the group stages because yeah. the games get a bit tighter. But what's really made this for me is the kind of, it's, it's not so much the bigger teams not looking all that great. It's the the so-called lesser lights, like really, really making a fight of every single game. You know, a, a kind of eliminated career team beating Germany is just... yeah you know, just unfathomable. And that, and that's that's what I really, really enjoyed is these kind of middling or slightly lesser teams, like really, really taking it. Um to these to these kind of big guns who I think are trying to do this periodization thing where they slowly get themselves into the tournament and actually the the, the kind of the smaller teams aren't allowing them to do that. And uh yeah, I, I think it's been I think it's been absolutely great. And I think the older I get the more I I actually really enjoy and appreciate international tournaments. It's kind of a chance for me to watch like high stake, fairly high quality football that I'm not really emotionally wrapped up in, you know, because during the season, look, and anyone listening to this is in the same position. If you're listening to an Arsenal podcast in the middle of the World Cup, it's because Arsenal is a big part of your life. And, you know, for me, like, I go to all the games and booking the travel and stuff, which is like project management. Essentially, it's like a part-time job. Like you are right about the games podcast about the games. My wife's a season ticket holder. My mum's a season ticket holder. Like it's it's all consuming, you know. Yeah. So I, I kind of like um, international tournaments, just watching them, watching them with like, like this really good tense football with that kind of air of emotional detachment. It's almost like quite. Yeah. Relaxing, and it reminds you how great football actually is.
0: Yeah, I'm, I would agree with that. I mean, I, yeah, I've got no dog in this fight whatsoever. You know, it's you've got some uh, teams you'd like to see do well because, you know, you're favorably disposed to that particular nation or they've got an Arsenal player or whatever it is. Yeah. But ultimately, it's not going to break my heart one way or the other whatever happens. And some of what's happened has been absolutely wonderful and hilarious you talk about the south korea game against germany yeah. you know i'd like germany to do all right because of messi ozil but mm. you know they didn't and they lost to south korea in dramatic fashion and if you're if you're if you're absolutely neutral i guess which i think i am for for most of mm. these games you can sort of just enjoy the experience of watching them but i think there's been an amazing amount of drama as well so mm. you would it be fair to say that you have been sceptical of VAR? That's,
1: yes, that's yes, fair. Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah, that's fair. And we've had this discussion, I think, and you know, I'm not mm. going to sort of um, try and prove you wrong or anything like that. But also, <laughs> one of the common themes of the way that you write about football, the way you write about Arsenal for for Arsblog and elsewhere, is the the need to perhaps give yourself just a little bit of distance, which isn't always easy when it's your own club mm. and you're very invested in it, but but remember that it is sport and it's a game and it isn't the end yep. of the world and you have, to, you have to enjoy all aspects of it, you know, or, or at least try to uh, give yourself the distance to enjoy all those aspects of it. So on yep. that basis, with football as entertainment, that's where <laughs> I think we're going with this, right? Mm. Football as entertainment... VAR, for me, has contributed massively to the entertainment that we've had in in this World Cup. As you're thinking on the technology or the implementation or what it might bring to the game has it changed in any way having witnessed it in action here you know it's not been perfect but I think mm. there's there's been so much that it's given us I mean even that, that South Korea goal yesterday you know the yeah, first yeah. one it was just like uh, is he, is he, is he he's, oh he is fucking br- you know it just has added so much I
1: think it, it it is um it is very interesting in that respect. I think um I mean my my personal stance has softened just because um I think there's no point in raging against the dying of the light. Um it's here, it's coming, and I might as well get used to it. <laughs> I still would prefer not to have it were it my choice, but I understand that um association football is not going to be tailored to my exact tastes. Um I, I think um as a televisual spectacle, uh, you're, you're quite right that VAR has actually almost... Well, it has added something in, in terms of the drama. Um, I might feel differently if it was a game I was emotionally invested in, if it was Arsenal, for example, um, or even if I was, I don't know, watching Spurs and wanting them to lose. Um, I, I st- So where I come from on this, it, it's basically an irresolvable debate because it just depends on what you personally prize. Do you prize justice or do you prize kind of the flow of the game, the spontaneity? Yeah. Um, I still have my doubts about how it works when you're sitting in the stadium, although I think they have made improvements there. Um, but I, I think for me, the key thing is I personally don't think incorrect decisions um, is a problem that needs solving for me personally. And I accept that I'm not trying to say that should be the case for everyone. I, I don't really care. Very much to be honest, I think there are so many split-second decisions in football that you know, unless, unless it's absolutely absurd, I you know, and and anyone who's ever sat next to me at an Arsenal game now is going to be listening to this and going, <laughs> "You what?" I've I've seen I've seen what you say to referees, but you know, in the heat of the moment, I kind of think that that's all good. But you know, I, I think there's just far, far, far too much focus on. Um, on refereeing decisions, but I also recognise that it's a bit like Pandora's box—that it's already open—and just telling people to be a bit calmer about it is is an exercise in futility. Yeah. I so my my stance has softened personally for my own convenient, probably for my own convenience, but also I, I have to admit it's been better than I thought it would be in terms of the flow of the game and the spectacle. And I think you're quite right to make the point about the entertainment it's 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 actually i think it's going to change football quite fundamentally yes and it's going to make it more akin to american sports i think um and it's going to break it down into almost set piece actions and and funnily enough we're seeing lots more penalties we're seeing lots more goals from corners because you know well i'm tempted to say people know that if they wrestle someone to the ground they might get caught but actually looking at (laughs) what's gone on in this world cup that's that's not necessarily uh, not necessarily the case but i i think it's like breaking the sport down a little bit almost nfl style and some people will like that and some people won't personally it's not to my tastes but i I have to be honest i'm not kind of wailing and gnashing my teeth um about it at this point because it's here and you know i i don't really think it's gonna you know magically improve you know I, I get that these things have to be rolled out and gotten used to but i'm not of the opinion that all of a sudden this is all going to be you know this is all going to get better and better I, I think you will always get because it's down to human judgment human mm. error you will always it will always be a bit bitty there will always be games where you say yeah that's a brilliant use of uh, like um you know at time of speaking think uh colombia is still playing senegal and there was you know originally a penalty given that shouldn't have been given. And you say, yep, that's a really, really good application of VAR. But then there are times where you think, well, that's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Um, And I don't think that's ever going to go away.
0: I think, you know, for me... it's been better than I thought it would be as well. You know, like you, I had some reservations about how it might affect the flow of the game and and just the impact that it would have. You know, when you introduce a new technology mm. into a sport, it is going to change the way that games are played. Someone uh, could have been James on the Arscast Extra likening it to the back-pass rule, which yeah. fundamentally changed the way that goalkeepers... Were the 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 technical specifications yeah. of a goalkeeper now are very different from the way they were when the goal goalkeeper could pick up the ball. So yeah, it is going to have but a, uh, an impact. But it, I've I've enjoyed watching it for the most part. Um, maybe I won't enjoy it if a decision goes against us. But I mean, again, that I think just is is part and parcel of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's easy to criticize when it it gets things wrong and it has got things wrong or not the Mm -hmm. technology itself, but it all boils down to human error, doesn't it? It's still a subjective judgment from a human being. Um, I've seen some suggestions to say that the referee shouldn't have a second view of it, that the decision should be made in the control room and communicated Mm -hmm. to the referee and then... Whatever happens, happens off the back of that, because they're the people who can who can make those decisions, whether it takes yeah. away the authority of the referee or not. Uh, I don't know. And I think one of the other things that's bothered me a little bit about it is is everybody playing charades now. Everybody's yeah, making yeah, the yeah. fucking TV shape, you know, To uh, every time there's any kind of contentious decision or, or something they think should have gone their way or the other way around. You know, because it's in its infancy and because it's so new, I think they have the chance... Yeah. to to stamp that out very quickly from the start because, you know, you see people all the time talking about, well, you know, re- players talking back to referees and, you know, they're always moaning at referees and getting in his face and they shouldn't do that. And they've mm. made a couple of half-arsed attempts, haven't they, to 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 address yeah. that? But because it's so fundamentally part of... Football, like the minute a referee gives a decision, whether it's at Sunday League or Premier League, it's like, oh, ah, yeah. ref, come on. You know, it's just part of it. Whereas I think they have, or maybe they had, maybe we've gone down the road too, too far now, they had the chance to, to make sure mm. that VAR uh, 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 wasn't something that players could demand. And I think we're yeah. seeing that a little bit. I think that's a bit of a worry for me.
1: Definitely. And, and I think to your point, actually, your, your kind of earlier point about the drama it's added and stuff like that. I, I mean, it certainly has. Um, The the argument I always used to kind of give to people was this isn't going to make anyone any happier um, because it's still going to be a human being interpreting a fairly subjective decision. Like if um, if you really, really get yourself wound up about refereeing decisions, this isn't going to stop that. Because even when you've seen 10 replays, you're still getting wound up about it and disagreeing with someone on on the Internet or sat next to you in the stadium or whatever. And this like this isn't. You know, and, and like I said, personally, I, I don't really care about that that much anyway. But, but people who thought it might make them happier, it's not going to. Or, and like you said, basically, it's added almost another layer of controversy, yeah. which, which, you know, to me is, is fine. Um, but, you know, I, I think people who are just like, oh, God, I, I just can't abide these referees ruining all the games. Like th- those people aren't going to be any happier. If anything, I think they might get more upset. <laughs>
0: Well, okay, that's fine. That's fine too. You know, I think we just have to maybe accept that uh, there is no absolute perfect way of refereeing a football match to make sure that everything is one hundred percent right all the time. It's just not possible.
1: Um, So and not desirable. No, I think I
0: think that's fair as well. Yeah,
1: mm, Yeah. that's that's think about why football is so appealing and why it's so popular. it's largely because you know it's fairly subjective i mean if if you were to have a perfectly refereed game um or or a game where you know the rules were applied absolutely clinically it'd be the most boring game in the world um and i'm i'm not coming at this from the i like i don't have any truck with the oh it will remove um you know discussion points and things like that like i i don't think that's a consideration don't think it's true either but it, it it's more this this kind of idea that yeah, yeah, that the, the, like actually referee or if the rules were super, super clear, then we'd just be having stoppages all the time, all the time. If we had an absolutely clinical rule book and that, yeah. that's part of football's appeal, ultimately. Mm.
0: No, yeah. I mean, just to take into account the, the way a referee has to adjudge holding and grappling and wrestling yep. and shirt pulling in the box every time there's and a piece ball. or a corner a handball yeah I mean look we've seen countless ball to hands given as as penalties and they're clearly mm. not penalties and that's with the benefit of, of video assistant referees. so yeah it, yeah. it, it ain't going to be perfect uh, but it is going to give us lots to talk about not in the Premier League next season by the way because they are not going to implement uh, VAR until possibly the season after so we'll we'll mm. have to wait and see how that goes and um, just talk to me a little bit about Brazil because that's uh, mm. that's something you know a lot about Brazilian football um, and, and you've got a connection there. Yeah how how are you viewing them in this particular tournament? When we talk about the the big teams not really impressing, Germany are out, uh, Spain have been okay. Uh, mm. France have been pretty disappointing, it has to be said. Argentina just about scraped through the other night, but Brazil, while not brilliant, have probably been the best of the big teams.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, you know I won't give all of this away because I've I've written a piece about this that's going to go out on Friday. But it's quite funny looking at the reaction to Brazil when you know I've I've watched I think every single one of their games since the last World Cup, and you get a sense of what type of a team they are. And what where Brazil really suffer in terms of perception is um, people, you know, this this kind of I don't know if it's a brand or a stereotype of Brazil is very, very, very powerful and very, very strong. Most of the people who kind of will say things like, oh, this isn't like a vintage Brazil, like 1970 or something like that. Most people who say that weren't even born in 1970 and haven't even seen (laughs) that team, um, myself included, really. Um, and, and there's this, it, it's so, so in, like ingrained into people that Brazil have to, like unless Brazil are seal dribbling their way to victory with a Caipirinha in hand and dancing <laughs> to samba music, but they're not playing well. And I've just been at pains to try and point out to people that this is a team built on defence and they're built on a really, really good defence. They've conceded six goals in 24 games. Which tells you something about them and why I think they're so strong and why I think, you know, they're they're definitely one of the favourites for the tournament. They don't concede yeah. um, very often at all, and that in tournament football, that's hugely, hugely, uh, you know, hugely important. And I think the other kind of perception people uh, problem people have with Brazil is. If if there is one player who does really subscribe to that kind of old Brazilian footballer stereotype, and you know they, they have had you know wonderful flair players down the years, but all their best teams have been very well organised, have had fairly conservative midfields to allow players like this to shine. But one of the the problems, as well, is that Neymar is the one who you know kind of lives up to that stereotype, but everyone hates him. Um, <laughs> they they don't. And, and you know, even in Brazil, I understand why. N- not not really in Brazil. No, it's it's kind of mixed. Um, pe- there are people who make fun of him, and there are always some great memes um, going around um, um, about him. But largely, people kind of love him um, over there. But right. I, I think more in general, like they they've got this one player, but they don't love him like they loved. On or Ronaldo or sure. you know players like this or Pele or Gahincha, like people don't love Neymar, and so even though he's this wonderfully skillful, flair player, um, you know they, they, they just don't warm to him, and therefore they don't warm to this team. I was listening to the Guardian podcast the other day. I think Barry Glendenning, who I like a lot and have a lot of time for, he said, "Oh, this Brazil team's thoroughly unlikable," and I thought to myself what what you really mean there is neymar is thoroughly unlikable because the rest of them are really quite inoffensive bunch um really
0: yeah
1: and uh so there there's this 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 kind of perception um around brazil but um what's clear is they're warming to the task a little bit and um they're not going to thrill people that's not what this manager do does and it's not what he's been doing for the last 2 years but um I'm not saying they will win it but they are absolutely in the conversation, yes.
0: Mm, all right. Well, yeah, they, they, they're they winning their games and scoring some goals. And like you say, very importantly, not conceding any either. So uh, it'll be interesting. Obviously, we're recording on Thursday, so we have yet to see Uh, What's happening with England and Belgium, uh, who's going to try and lose most in that particular game (laughs) so they can potentially avoid Brazil in a quarterfinal if they get through their round of 16 games. So, uh, you know, it's all very convoluted. But uh, anyway, away from the World Cup, you were at a Mm. supporters club um, event uh, at the stadium with the new boss. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I have to give top man head billing. Ivan Gazidis and the new boss. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help it. People give me a hard time because I give Ivan a bit of a hard time. But hey, look, uh, it's all he it's all in just. He can he can take it on his one and a half million pound salary and his uh, one million pound bonus, of course. <laughs> but look, he, uh, I, Ivan Gazidis was there as chief executive along with new boss Unai Emery, uh, who faced the supporters. Uh, for the first time, as as Arsenal manager, what I mean I know it was a, a fairly stage managed event. But, yeah, yeah. But what were your impressions of him and the way he's approaching the job at hand?
1: I I'm thoroughly thoroughly impressed, and this this was all said um, after he did the initial press conference. But um, to do it in English as well. Um, I know you'll be able to relate to this and lots of our listeners will as well if you've ever learned a second language. There is nothing that makes you feel more vulnerable, more naked, more stupid, quite frankly, than trying to speak a second language that you haven't got a total grip on to people who are native speakers of that language. I I promise you, it's almost humiliating. It's one of the most humbling things you can do. So for him to have done this twice now... Like would anyone have battered an eyelid if he'd had an interpreter um no. at either the press conference or last night? no nobody, nobody would have criticized that, so for him to do it anyway, I think is hugely impressive and what's what's quite clear is his English is better than it was a month ago. um you know he's obviously still can't express himself really, really clearly, but the fact that he's kind of willing to have a go. Um, and, and do it very well um, as well was 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 really, really impressive. I think the thing that really came through, obviously, like I said, his English isn't good enough yet to really put his ideas across. But the thing that jumped out at me was um, they asked him about starting against Man City. Um, now, like, well, what what do you think of that? And uh, I'm going to paraphrase him here slightly, yeah. but he was basically saying, look, I want, I want a really good energy in the stadium. I want really good energy from the team. And to be honest with you, the best way to do that is probably to play the best team. Um, I, you know, he, mm. he was hinting at I want a high energy approach and not just from the players, from the supporters in the stadium. And, and actually playing Man City helps set that tone very, very early on. Um, but the, the phrase that really, really did come through with quite a lot of emphasis, he kind of stopped himself and he said, look, I promise you all only one thing, this team will work hard. And, um, he, he kind of, he kept making that intonation. He was asked, you know, about what his vision is for the team. And he's, he kind of said, I want every single minute of every single game for them to be working hard. And, um, Whatever your kind of persuasion as an Arsenal fan, however you feel about the club at the moment, whatever your position, um, I don't think there's a single Arsenal fan out there that thinks that that sounds like a bad idea. because
0: It's just that it's the default, isn't it? When you talk about it's that classic thing, isn't it? You know, he may not be the most talented player, but he always works hard. He always gives you 110%. And it is kind of a default position for many fans. It's like, okay, I can accept us losing if we try, if we do our best and if we put in the yards and, you know, everything else. You know, it is easier to come to terms with a defeat when uh, you see a team put that effort in compared to a yeah. team that seems to be strolling around and isn't necessarily doing as much as it could do, you know? So I'm yeah. not saying that's a safe approach from him or anything like that. I think it's a very sensible approach because if you yeah. you, you keep fans on side with that kind of uh, outlook on the game, right? That's how you yeah. do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think he was really hinting at um, the kind of approach he wants as well. You know, he's already made reference to the kind of high-pressing high-octane kind of stuff. And um, I I think this is, you know, I think that's kind of what he's getting at, that this is going to be a team that's going to do that, that this is going to be a team who are going to, like, really, really run and run their legs off. Um, And and I, I think he really wanted to get that across. And he was talking a little bit about kind of in training sessions as well. Excuse the door there. That's a (laughs) was He was talking about in training sessions as well and he was saying, you know, I want every minute of every day to count and for them to work hard. And I I think it's quite deliberate that he was putting that across and maybe not to throw shade on Arsene Wenger um, so much. But I think that was his way of kind of saying... This is how things are going to change, and uh, I think everyone would welcome that. I think the players will welcome it as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Ivan Gazidis was, uh, you know, he talks a good game. He really does. There's absolutely no no doubt about that. He talked about, you know, the values of the club. How he sat down for a uh, for a meeting with. With Unai Emery, you know, for an hour to teach him about the values of Arsenal and yeah. developing young players and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. But he did—he was very, very clear about how we have, he said, we, ha- we really have a collective effort now in terms yeah. of how we identify players, how we take forward our interest. Uh, Of course, Unai is a a huge part uh, of that as well. He says, this is now a very different way of doing things. One with a very, very accomplished team of professionals who we have spent time betting into the club. So it's very clear what he's trying to say there, that the old ways were the old ways under Arsene Wenger. He has completely and utterly distanced himself from that, whether that's... Fair or not that's for other people to judge yeah. i think because he was part and parcel of it but if he's going in a com- completely different direction he's very much taking ownership of this isn't he
1: yeah yeah big time big time and I, and and i think that's that's kind of quite well known and i think um what and he also said it he i mean he was given a bit of a gift of a question at the end about david dean which was um a remarkably stupid question that wasted everyone's time, not least because it was the last question. <laughs> um, but he w- he was given that opportunity again to say, "Look, I'm I'm not the only person. It's not like a single point of failure um, model anymore." But I think what was also really really notable was that Sven Mislintat was there, uh, Raul Sanjay he was there as well. Raul Sanjay he kind of kept himself separate. He was up on a balcony. Um, he didn't kind of. There was half an hour afterwards where you can go and get a drink and mingle and whatever and buy raffle tickets and (laughs) Sven Sven Mislintat was very much mingling um and I I spoke to a journalist a couple of weeks ago who I won't name but he was saying you know Sven Mislintat is not um he's kind of he's he's quite not prone to but he quite likes people to know that he's there um, he I, does like to self-promote
0: yeah and just just you be, know. to get, before you continue with that it was it was said to me that the reason uh, the pictures of gazitas and mislintat appeared yep. in dortmund when they were trying to buy obama that time were because mislintat briefed uh, some friendly local press who came out and took the photographs yes. and put them up there so yeah
1: and I think you'll start to notice that build um, will get a lot of our kind of German-based transfer targets. <laughs> um, and and this, this kind of journalist I was discussing this was saying, how many other heads of recruitment in Europe can you name um, but you know about Sven Mislintat? And that's that's quite deliberate. And that's not just because Dortmund do good work. Lots of teams do good work. But he makes sure that people know that he does good work. And he was, um, you know, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but he was like, you know, mugging around and um, posing for selfies and talking to people, which which is all fine. Um, that's not meant as a criticism, but he was a, he was a very visible part of the evening as well. And I, I thought that was quite interesting.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, look, it is a whole new era. It's good to have some characters. I mean, I think in fairness to... the the breadth and scope of coverage of Arsenal and most clubs these days, we know who everyone is from head of recruitment down to head of, you know, tea purchasing or whatever it might be (laughs) uh, these days. So uh, look, it's going to be a brave new era. It's going to start on Monday. Pre-season starts on Monday. The players will be back. uh, And we'll go from there. Um, Pre-season games in Dublin, of course, as well. So maybe we'll do some stuff around that. But uh, for now, Tim, we better leave it there. Thanks a million. Pleasure.
1: Um
0: Thank you very much indeed. To Tim, you can find him on Twitter, at Stilberto. That is at Stilberto. And you can read his column every Thursday on Blog, except during the Europa League times when the schedule is fucked up, the podcasting schedule is fucked up. But from now until the start of the season anyway, you're going to get it on a Thursday. Actually, did you see during the week that AC Milan were expelled or ejected from the Europa League because of, I think it was uh, issues to do with financial fair play. They didn't meet some requirements there. I think it was to do with all the money they spent last year and last season. I mean, is there any way we could just sort of cook the books a little bit? Commit some minor fraud or something? We might get kicked out of it as well. Although maybe now that we've got a manager who can win the Europa League whenever he wants, basically. He's won it three times, you know, with Sevilla. Three times in a row. Nobody's ever done I mean, he could, he could basically win it tomorrow with Chesterfield. If he wanted to, he could do that. Maybe we should stay in it for uh, for one more season. Not much happening this week in terms of Arsenal transfer news. Uh, Lucas Torreira apparently is you know close to being done, but that's no different from where we were a week ago. Aaron Ramsey. Reportedly close to signing a new contract. That would be quite good. Uh, Papastathopoulos Sokratis, he's due to come in, I think, early next week. They can announce that in July for, I think it was bookkeeping reasons or accounting reasons. And Ivan Gazidis, he said in that meeting there will be more signings to come as Unai Emery develops his squad and builds his squad ahead of next season. So who knows what else we might get between now and the start of the season, remembering, of course, that the transfer window closes before the start of the season, so all the business has got to be done in a nice, timely fashion. Something new and exciting for us to deal with, along with a new manager. So look, that's about it for this week's ArsCast. It is a shorter one than usual, but hey, at least it's something on a Friday. If you're interested and you're not already a member, we've got two brand new uh, history podcasts going up on Patreon.com today. Uh, that's uh, Patreon.com forward slash Arseblog today being Friday. They should be up by mid-afternoon it's a look back at the 2001-2002 season. Two parts. Myself, uh, James from Gunnerblog and Andrew Allen will be discussing that season. The highs, the lows, the great goals, the injuries... And, of course, Arsenal doing the double and winning the league at Old Trafford. So if you fancy a bit of that, you can subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. Works out at about five euros a month. That's less than five pounds sterling. It's about six dollars. So if you like what we do and you uh, want to support the site, as well as getting all these uh, excellent extra podcasts, which are exclusive to you, you can sign up at uh, patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. James and I will be here with an ArsCast Extra on Monday. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye bye.
1: Dearly beloved,
0: we are gathered here today in this house of God to pay our final respects to a husband, a father, a goalkeeper. David Ospina was taken from us too soon. The tragedy of his passing has left us bereft and wondering, what, he's alive again? Well, this certainly changes everything he has returned to us from the other side and we can now celebrate his life and know that he will be with us for many years to come he's dead again is he right this could be a long day